Heavenly Father, we bow before you today. Thank you that we're here today. Thank you that we're in your house. Thank you, Lord God Almighty, for what you've already done so far. We're looking to you to do more. For you said in your word that you were giving good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You are a God of great abundance. And so, Lord, we're looking for more from your throne of grace today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, back to um, Romans. We're finished looking at Genesis, and uh, we come back to Romans. And our consideration of this wonderful book. Now, I've said that I've called this book of Romans the gospel of God. And the reason why I've said that, because... In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the gospel from man's point of view. What Matthew saw, what John saw, from man's point of view. But when you come to the book of Romans, you have the gospel from God's point of view. And what God gives you. Look at these wonderful verses that we have found in this book. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Or how about this one over in Romans 5? But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or how about this one in Romans chapter 8? Therefore, there is now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel from God's point of view. And because of these huge truths and these huge blessings, we ought to live differently. Because of what I just read from Romans, from Romans chapter 1, all the way through to Romans chapter 12. Because of these wonderful truths, we ought to be different. We ought to live differently. And it seems strange to me that people want the gospel. They want all the benefits that come from being a Christian, but they don't want to change their lives. seems strange to me that if you want what God has to give you, then automatically you want to say, I'm so grateful. I want to live a bit differently. Repentance means a change of thinking. And once you have a change of thinking, then your lifestyle changes as well. So two things I want to say about our short reading today. The first thing I want to say is a life of love. A life of love. Do you remember we all used to be the same? Look what the Bible says that we lived, how we used to live like. It says this, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of patterns and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What a description of our world today. That was us. We used to hate others. And people used to hate us very very sad but we need to live a life not like that 
We need to live a life of love. Now, Jesus said it a long time ago. In the gospel, Jesus said this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. If you love one another. And so in our Bible reading, Paul picks it up and he says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You know, we can talk all day about the um, about love. But it's seen in this verse where Paul says, Honor someone greater than yourself. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, Jesus demonstrated that, didn't he? Remember when Jesus uh, had the disciples round the table? The Bible said that Jesus uh, took off his robe, he put on a servant's dress, wrapped a towel around him, and he took some water, and he went down on his knees. The king of glory went down on his knees and washed the disciples' feet. Demonstrated it. He esteemed them higher than himself. He showed his love to them by washing their feet. But today, love in our society has become, at best, just a word. And at worst, it's become an excuse to do all manner of sin and wickedness. Songs in our charts back in my day anyway, me and Mrs. Jones, we've got a thing going on. We both know that it's wrong, but it's much too strong to let it go now. What are they talking about? I'll tell you what they're talking about. Adultery and unfaithfulness. Let's call it what it is. But they're calling it love. But not only that, you go into the homosexual community and there you find people saying, because I love him, I can be with him. I remember back in the day when you might remember this, the milk tray advert. Remember that guy, that crazy guy, dressed in black for some unknown reason? Decides to scale walls and swim the deepest sea and and jump over fences. And at the end of the whole advert, it says, all because the lady loves milk tray. You see, we have a confused idea about what real love is. And in our world, in our day and age, we have twisted it and made it into something that it ought not to be. Well, in the church, it ought to be different. In the church, it ought to be love, honoring one another because we love one another. In the church, it should have been different. But unfortunately, I found in my 20 years of being in church, in this particular church, I found that it's not so different. You know, Jesus turned around and said, it's the, if your enemy strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other one to him also. 
in the church, I hear comments like, there's going to be two hits. You know, I hit you and you're going to hit the floor. You're no way am I turning the other cheek to you. Even in the church. This, my dear friends, ought not to be. I have heard Christians shout at other Christians, abuse other Christians, be rude to the brothers and sisters. This happens in the house of God. I want to tell you this morning, God is angry when the church does not express the same kind of love that he expressed to you. The love that Jesus expressed to you, the Bible will call agape love. That word agape means a self-denial, self-sacrifice, love that he had for you. And we see it, don't we, on the cross. When we read that God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God had agape love for you that he gave Jesus. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay down of my own accord. He had agape love for you. That's why he went to the cross. That's why if you're a Christian today, you are saved. Because of Christ's self-denial and sacrificial love he had for you. But today, we need to be rebuked. Not just Goldings, but every Christian church. Today we need to be rebuked because we don't express that same kind of love that God has. We don't put our brother higher than ourselves. We don't esteem our sister greater than ourselves. In fact, we live in a world that dog eats dog. Let me get to the highest point as quickly as possible and stuff anyone else. This should not be the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, by this, Shall all men know that you belong to me. That you have love. One for another. I preach so hard on this because I believe we need a revival of love in our church. We need a revival of love. I have to say, when I look around here, there's a lot of warmth in this church. I have to say this, but I want to preach it as it is. Because we need a church where the focus, the, the drive, is going to be love people. And we want to see people, others, raised up, prayed for, encouraged, helped, strengthened in their faith. And the reason why, because God has shown it himself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, let's move on. The first thing then... Because of all the wonderful promises in Romans, because of chapter 1 right through to chapter 11, so much there, we ought to change the way we live. And we need to be a people who love and show love in a real, meaningful, sacrificial way. Okay, second thing I want to show you from this first, a life of action. Now, Paul lays out three Things which are of great importance. And these are the three things I'm going to look at before we close. He says this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. So the first thing he says then, be joyful in hope. And this is not the first time Paul uses this word hope in the letter. To understand hope, 
we need to ask ourselves, what is the Christian understanding of this word hope? And here's a definition for you that will help you to understand it a little bit better. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is in God's faithfulness. Let me read it again. Hope is the confident expectation. Those two words should be highlighted. Confident expectation of what God has promised. And its strength is in God's faithfulness. So what has God promised? Well, God has promised many things. Going a word, there's many things that God has promised. But hope has to do with one specific thing. And it's this. Death is not the end. God has promised that the very thing that frightens people, the very thing that worries people, the very thing that gets people all scared and feared up, death, the common denominator of all men and women, God has promised that for the man or the woman who put their faith in Jesus Christ, God has promised that you will never die. Now look at what the word says. Uh, Jesus is speaking and he says this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he said to Mary or Martha, I can't be sure which lady it was, do you believe this? Jesus said, I am. When he said, I am, he said, you see God in the Old Testament who said, I am who I am. I want to tell you, I am the same as the God in the Old Testament. I have the same authority as he had. I am, says Jesus. And he said this, I am the resurrection. In other words, those who die in me, I will raise them up again. That's what he's saying. And Jesus proves it. He goes into the grave, into the tomb, and they put the seal over the stone. They set guards in place, and they make sure, they want to make sure no one steals his body, and they protected it and guarded it all night. But on the third day, we read what? Jesus rose from the grave. Angel came down, rolled the stone away. Not because they let Jesus out, the stone was rolled away so people can look into the tomb and see that there was no body. He was alive. He was the first one who was raised from the dead. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, yet shall he live. If you put your faith in Christ Jesus, if you are a born again believer, this is not your home. Listen to the Bible. Listen to the word of God. It says this. 
my father's house has many rooms. This is Jesus speaking. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Love that verse. Hear that verse in funerals all the time. I call it in funerals. But when you speak about it, about Christians, but not only that, look what the word of God says. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared a city for them. That's it. God has prepared something. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Why? Because I am the resurrection and the life. And I'm going to raise you up, says Jesus again. And you shall not die if you have faith in me. That is a Christian hope. And again, he says this in the word of God. Look what Paul says. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. A dear man came to faith in Christ. He was a very educated man. He was a judge, very high up, worked many cases. But he didn't know Christ until he came to the age of around about 70. Do you believe that? Around about 70 years of age, he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And only two weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, this dear man fell asleep, died in the Lord. And his family are grieving. But they're not grieving like the world grieves. Yes, their hearts are broken. There's tears falling from their eyes. But the Bible says we do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And the reason why they do not grieve, the reason why you and I should not grieve, but the Bible says that when Jesus Christ comes again, and I love this, when Jesus Christ comes again, he will bring every angel in heaven with him. Heaven, when Christ comes again, heaven will be empty. Why? Because every angelic being will be with Jesus Christ when he returns. But not only that, the Bible says this. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus. Hallelujah. Every single Christian, every single believer that has fallen asleep in Christ will be with Jesus when he comes again. And if you are alive, and it's possible that you might be alive when Jesus Christ comes again, and when you look into the sky and you see Christ coming with a host of angels, you will see the loved ones, men and women, young and old, who are falling asleep in Christ, renewed, transformed, coming 
with him in glory. Praise be to God. I look forward to that day. The skies will be full with every person. This is our hope. This is our confident assurance that this will take place. Now, if you say to me now, if I asked you over tea and coffee and I say to you, hey, I'm glad you listened to the message, do you think you're going to um, be among that number? If you say to me, I hope so, then you haven't understood a word I said. If I asked you, dear friend, you know, are you going to be in glory? And you say, well, I really hope I will. That you haven't understood anything. Because hope is not the same as what the world hopes. Oh, the world may hope that they fill in the lottery card aright. They hope that the three-legged horse that they bet will come in first. Oh, they hope that something will take place. That is not the hope of the Bible. No, the hope is the confident assurance that Jesus will bring you to glory. Have you got that hope? And if you do not have that hope, then I beseech you in the Lord, make sure you get that hope this morning. Make sure you speak to somebody. Speak to Ez. Speak to Jim. Speak to Grant. Speak to Mike. Speak to myself. Find someone who knows about this hope. And make sure this morning you have a hope that cannot be shaken because the word of God says he has placed you in Christ. And so, a life that is changed because of the wonderful things of God, we need to be joyful in that wonderful hope that we are not going to die. Oh yes, this body will waste away. Yes, I may go into the ground one day, but Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Praise be to God. We're not going to move on. I can stay here a little bit long, but let's move on. Because not only does it say um, uh, be joyful in hope, but also be patient in affliction. Sometimes we can lose sight of that hope when we're going through hard times. Sometimes we can lose sight of that hope, especially when we're in the middle of some kind of affliction or some kind of pain. When we pass through hardships, when we pass through difficulty, we often turn around and say things like, well, God's forgotten me. God doesn't love me. If God loves me, He will have taken me out of this pain that I'm in. If God loves me, he will take me out of the affliction that I'm in. God doesn't love me, we say. But you find it very easy to give up when you're faced with affliction. You know that our brother Job in the Bible? Job was tempted to give up. His wife came up to him and said to him, Do you still hold on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God? Look at the problems in your life. Look at your skin. You've got no children. You've got no business. Look at you. Why don't you just curse God and die? Give up hope. 
I love what Job said. Job said something at the end. He said, you know, in my flesh, I shall see the God of heaven. Job has something. Because so easy to give up. So easy to turn away and say, I can't go on. But when we see this verse, it says this. For our light and momentary affliction is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I like how Paul puts it. I don't care how big your affliction is this morning, says Paul. I don't care how huge your pain is this morning, says Paul. I don't care how much you love the one that you, you're missing this morning, says Paul. He says this, it's all light, it's all momentary. Why? In comparison to the weight of glory that shall come your way. I was greatly impressed with um, Friday night. Some of us had the privilege of, of listening to Michael Watson give his testimony. What an incredible man. And in his testimony, what really came out to me, so many things came out to me, but one of the things, he got brought up in a church, he was in church, but he wasn't a born-again Christian until he had that fateful accident in a boxing ring where he had that blood clot and he was out cold. And he says in his testimony that he couldn't speak to anyone. He couldn't indicate to anyone. He was like a vegetable sitting in a chair. But he said this, the only person that I could cry out to at that moment was God. In my affliction, in my pain, in my sickness, when I was a young boxer and I was winning titles and winning fights, I didn't cry out to God. I was too busy winning and training. But when I got into my affliction, says Michael Watson, I cried out to God. And God heard his cry. So endure. Persevere. Be patient in affliction. When trouble comes your way, and my dear friends, there will be days when a cloud covers the sun. There will be days when darkness enters your life. There will be days when you wake up in the morning and it's Sunday and you say, the last place I want to be is church. There will be days like that. But when affliction comes, Paul says, because of what God has done, because of Romans chapter 1, right through to Romans chapter 11, because of what God has done, be patient in affliction. Keep on going. Persevere. Keep on striving. Because God is always, always going to come through. God is always because he is indeed faithful. The final thing I want to say. A life of action. Well, if you have a life of action, you've got to have be joyful in hope. You've got to be patient in affliction. And finally, Paul says this. Faithful in prayer. You know, on Wednesday, we... It's been great to see some new faces. Thanks for coming. Those of you who came on Wednesday, it's really great seeing your new faces on Wednesday. But we've been speaking about prayer on Wednesday. We've been speaking about how the devil 
hates prayer. The devil will stop you praying at every turn. Anytime you even begin to start praying, the devil will say, you've got something to do, haven't you? Do that first and then come back to prayer. The devil will turn around and even when you're praying, you find your mind wandering around the place. And you wake up realizing that five minutes are gone and you can't remember what you said. The devil will take you after you have prayed. And the devil will say to you, aren't you wonderful? You prayed for five minutes? Wow, put it down in your diary. You're great. And you, it just goes up. You feel, I'm a good Christian because I prayed. He will attack you again and again and again. Not only that, your flesh is against you. Your flesh doesn't want you to pray. Your flesh will rather you sleep than pray. And so we have trouble praying. There's a verse that comes out of Isaiah. Look what the Bible says. The prophet says this. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest. And give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. And this Bible obviously is speaking about Jerusalem, but the prophet is saying this. Listen to what the prophet is saying. Give you who call upon the Lord, give yourselves no rest. But I like this next bit here. It says this. And give him no rest. Don't let God have a rest by hearing your voice. Keep on knocking. Keep on praying. Keep on crying out. Keep on calling out to God. Give him no rest, said the word of God. Don't let God turn around and did what he had to do with Adam. Do you know what he had to do with Adam? God had to go and look for Adam. Because Adam was hiding. Don't be like Adam. No, no, no. Give God no rest, says the prophet. Cry out to him. Day and night. Pray to him. Even though the devil's trying to stop you. Even the flesh trying to drag you down. No, no, no. Don't give God any rest. Until... He outpours his spirit upon you until he shows himself to you. And the reason for the faithfulness in prayer, the reason why you should continue to keep on knocking, continue to keep on praying, the reason why, Romans 5 tells us one of the reasons why. Look at this. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You have been reconciled to God. He has drawn you close. He has brought you near. It's a bit like I was saying last week when Joseph spoke to his brothers and said to his brothers, come close to me. Reconciliation is God saying, come close to me. I have reconciled you to myself. And because you're reconciled, you can give me no rest. You can keep on crying out. Keep on praying. Keep on knocking on that door. Keep on hammering. And I will hear your prayer. The problem with Christianity, I fear, is that we give up too easily. The 
problem I fear with Christianity that we start praying and then we fall asleep. We give up. But God is encouraging us this morning to keep on keeping on. Lay hold of the throne of grace. Seek his face. Do not be distracted. Do not be turned to the left or to the right. But keep on. Give him no rest until he outpours his spirit in a mighty and powerful way. That is what God is asking us to do. Not to follow Adam hiding but to follow Christ seeking. And so as we close, reading Romans is a wonderful theology, but it must move us to action. And the first action that we must get ourselves involved with is loving one another. And once we begin to love then we begin to start being joyful in the hope of eternal life. We start being patient in our troubles, in our afflictions, in our hardships. We begin to wait upon God and we begin to pray. Not just for a few moments, not until we just feel a little bit good. No, we will keep on praying. We'll be faithful in prayer because we want God to turn up. And I'm praying for this church that these seats that we see are empty will not remain empty. Why? Because God has men and women out there that he wants to speak to. And it's only up to the church to be praying, oh God, save souls. We don't want people to fall into the, fall into the fire places of hell. We don't want people to be abandoned, oh God. Save men and women. Bring them into your kingdom, oh God. That is love at work, even for those who do not love God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. Oh, you place a passion on my heart today, oh God, and I pray that you might work by your spirit, Lord. But Lord, man, I will fade into incident. It's not about me at all, Lord. It's about you and your word. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will take a hold of your people today and begin to transform them. Those who confess to be Christians, those who confess your name, will not be content with living the same as they lived before, but they'll be different, oh God, completely transformed and changed, oh God, we pray. And that those who look at us will know that we belong to Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray. Do a work in us, we ask of you. And do it for your name's sake. Build your kingdom. Send a revival. A revival of love. A revival of your spirit. A changing of hearts. Repentance. Tears. Brokenness before you. Send it, Lord, we pray. That your name will be glorified. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.